Welcome to the Present Age Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Malloy. Joining me this week is Matthew Sheffield. Matthew Sheffield is the founder and editor of Flux, a new web community for progressive writers and podcasters. I was interested in talking to Matthew about his earlier life experience as someone who was present and involved with right-wing media when they really started building their echo chamber. Let's get started. So joining me today is Matthew Sheffield. So one of the first things I wanted to ask you is, can you tell me a little bit about your connection to right-wing media, how it started, what you did, how your views changed over time, how your involvement changed over time? You offered to share the the tale of your exit from the world of right-wing media, and I would absolutely love to hear it. Okay. All right. Well, so my background is... I was raised as a fundamentalist Mormon. And Mormons basically, a lot of people don't know, but Mormons actually are the original Christian nationalists. Mormonism was founded on the idea that America was the choice land above all other lands that's literally in the Book of Mormon. And that Christopher Columbus was moved upon by the Holy Spirit to discover America, um, even though he never came here. But um, And so Mormons, to some degree, kind of created the environment then rubbed off on a lot of people. So th- I was brought up in that environment a lot, you know, very much to a large degree. And I have uh, seven siblings and my family and I, we traveled all over America doing an informal ministry uh, because Mormons don't actually have ministries. They're not allowed to have them by their church. Mm-hmm. It's a very centralized bureaucratic church. And so I was in that. Part of it was that we were so uh, disenchanted with the regular Mormon church it wasn't fundamentalist enough for us. Um, <laughs> but luckily, we were not into polygamy, so that was at least good for us in that regard. But I didn't want to go on a regular Mormon mission because when you turn 19, that's kind of what young men are expected to do. And But I was so disenchanted. I was like, no, I want to do something else. And it was a, unfortunately a really bad idea in retrospect. <laughs> but in any case, uh, so we started traveling around America playing classical music on the street, literally. That was my misspent youth. (laughs) So we did that. And in the course of doing that, um, for whatever reason, you know, this was the pre-internet days, we actually watched the evening news on TV and our family watched the CBS evening news. And during the the imbroglio over Bill Clinton's impeachment, we decided that we thought Dan Rather, one of my brothers and I decided we thought Dan Rather was unfair. So, you know, and, and, you know, in retrospect, he's obviously shown he's, you know, fairly progressive guy. So, but anyway, we decided we were going to start a website called ratherbiased.com. And it basically was blogging before there was even a word for it. You know, we got picked up all over the place. I guess, you know, people liked it or some people liked it. We did that for a few years uh, until we got thoroughly and utterly sick of talking about Dan Rather. And uh, so we quit the site in 2002, and we got so many requests to bring it back for 2004 from our... Because we left the site up, but we we, we uh, didn't want to do it. So, but so many people were like, please, please bring the site back. Um, and so we said, fine, we will. Um and uh, but we had decided at that point we're definitely going to stop no matter what after the election's over. And uh, well, uh, after the election was over, we we actually kept going because Dan Rather had gotten involved with that document scandal where he had used fake um, 
documents to say that George W. Bush had avoided the draft in the Vietnam War. Um, and, you know, I think that's probably true that Bush did that. But when you're using documents that were typed up in Microsoft Word and you're presenting them as if they were made on a typewriter, that's pretty uh, embarrassing. <laughs> and so anyway, so but that it just exploded um, the in popularity. And uh, we thought my brother and I, you know, we were tired of our family ministry by that point. And but we had no. Um, we had no way out to go and do something on our own. None of us had ever had an internship. None of us had any friends because uh, we lived, you know, basically a nomadic lifestyle. We grew up in trailer parks and tents. So, yeah, we had no network. Uh, we And I went to, uh, I think, eight different colleges. Uh, and I have two other ones from my high school years. So I've got 10 universities on my transcript. Basically, we thought, well, you know, originally we thought, well, let, what, what if we had a website that sort of brought together left and right wing media criticism? So we actually started recruiting a bunch of people for it. And there was a ton of interest for it. People liked what we this idea. Um, I, we actually uh, found uh, before they had signed on with anyone, we found uh we found Matt Iglesias. We also found Ezra Klein while they were in college, and uh, and 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 a bunch of other you know right of center people. And so, like a lot of people wanted to do this, but then we got to the point where we realized, oh, we don't have any money. Uh, we can't pay anybody to do this stuff, uh, and we have no way of raising money. <laughs> so we're like, fuck. I guess we'll have to just go into right-wing media because we have no other options. Um, like it was, it was a weird moment because like, I remember I, I applied, I had never even applied for a job before. Um, and so I went up and applied for like, a, I think it was Nordstrom rack or something like that. And they never got back to me. And I was like, man, I don't know. I have no idea what to do. And my university people had no interest in helping me. And so we're like, all right, well, I guess we'll team up with the Media Research Center um, and start Newsbusters. And Newsbusters was basically kind of like a large format version of what we had been doing at RatherBias.com. And they had apparently seen, you know, what we were doing. So actually, we ended up getting more publicity for our stuff than they did. Um, and so, you know, so we started Newsbusters after that. It was basically the first ever um, think tank blog publication out there, as far as I know. Um, and then a bunch of people started, you know, trying to get into that business as well. And uh, Heritage Foundations did it. And actually, Media Matters kind of, as I understand, was inspired by what we were doing to some yep. degree. Um, and, you know, then I started a business, uh, basically sort of duplicating that idea. See, had, had only Nordstrom Rack gotten back to you, this could have all been avoided. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, I, uh, so we did that for a while. And then um, I actually tried to do that. I, well, so. Oh, and I guess after we, so after we started working with them, um, the first day after we moved out, so my brother and I actually had money and we had, could 
move out. So we did as soon as possible. Um, and I was 27 at the time. Um, and we both, um, the first Sunday after we left, uh, moved out, my mom had put a, a paper on our, on our kitchen because we were living together. Actually. Um, she put a paper on it for the address of the local Mormon church. And, uh, my brother and I, you know, we got up on the Sunday morning with enough time to go to it. Uh, but then I looked over at him and I said, you know, I don't want to go. Um, do you want to go? No. So we didn't. And we never did. Uh, we never went again after that. And, um, and then our, you know, anyway, and, that, and long, long story short, our, uh, our faith in Mormonism and religion generally sort of collapsed after that. Uh, but not our interest in right-wing activism. So um, I, for a number of years, tried to sort of make space for non-Christians in the Republican Party. And, well, ultimately, that was a fool's errand, um, as I soon discovered. Well, not soon. I eventually discovered. <laughs> um, and part of, I guess, the, the big catalyst for that discovery, well, there were a couple of things. One was that um, I kept noticing how people were stealing my ideas. Um, on the right. Like I would go to an organization and say, Hey, you know, I've built these things here that have millions of readers and are nationally known. Um, you know, I could do that for you. Um, and then they would say, Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And then a, a few months later, you know, big fundraising campaign, <laughs> we're doing this large website and we need your money. Um, yeah. And so like I, that kept happening to me. And I, at first I thought, well, maybe it's just because I'm not, you know, uh, I don't know, like I, I, cause I, I grew up in a trailer park and I don't know anybody. I'm not an elite right. Republican consultant or whatever. Um, and that's what I thought for a while, but then eventually, um, I decided to start writing a book to try to sort of improve conservative politics. Um, and by improve, I also meant um, to help them become more responsive to public sentiment, so public opinion. Um, but, and in the course of doing that, I began researching, you know, why do they pursue these ideas that people don't want? Um, like, where does that come from? And I, had, you know, I had always stayed away kind of from the religious right just by being not religious, right? <laughs> um, but I actually, you know, started reading their stuff and I was horrified at what I was seeing. And like, you know, there were people who like, I, I remember reading a story of this man who was a, he's a Hindu um, priest and he was invited to give the, uh, like the, so the, the U.S. Capitol has a daily prayer session at the beginning of all their, when they're in session and they invite different people to do it. And this guy who was a Hindu priest was invited to do it. And so he got up to do it and people started, they invaded the Capitol. Actually, this was like a predecessor of January 6th and no one has ever heard of it. Um, but this happened and um, they, they invaded the rotunda and started screaming about Satan and uh, we have to stop this. And they, they were demanding that he be, you know, arrested. Uh, and <laughs> it was awful. And 
And I was like, you know, is this what I am helping here? Um, I, you know, and, and so it, I kind of started trying to rewrite to sort of, I don't know, kind of oppose that sort of Christian nationalist extremism. But eventually I got to the point where I realized, you know what? The reason that they do these things is because they think they're God's servants. Um, and so I could write the best, you know, all the best words to use Trump's phrase. Um, I could have all the best words, um, the best written book in human history. And it wouldn't matter because they're doing these things because they think God wants them to do it. Um, and their ability to distinguish between their own ideas and, you know, the will of God is none. It's non-existent. Um, and it was, it was a profoundly depressing realization um, because, you know, I had, I had thought that there were sincere motives about policy and um, America and, you know, the public service and things like that. But I realized, no, it, it, it isn't that. Um, and so I had written 80,000 words at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, and I actually had a publisher as well, um, but I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't do it. So I, I pulled it off the, I, I withdrew it. And uh, I don't know, it was, I, I, it was, I went into depression, actually, I did. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was, yeah. And it was like, I didn't want to do that though, because this was like the second existential crisis in sure. my life. Most yeah. people, you know, they're, they, they, they may have one, yeah. <laughs> but here and I all, was all having a age, second one. How old are you at the time? Um, I think I was like 39, 38. Yeah. Like, that. like two ex two like big existential crises, you know, by that point. You're 40 like, or 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. I mean, I see my trick is that I, I start with one and I just keep that crisis going my entire life, <laughs> <laughs> um, which which actually just just really quick. One thing I was thinking about, because I actually had not heard the story of the, the Hindu priest and I just Googled it. And I'm I'm honestly amazed that uh, I had not I had not ever heard of this um, and I'm going to read up on it later. But one thing you said that that kind of caught my attention was that, and this is something that I've always kind of been trying to figure out is that people do these things because they honestly believe this is the will of God and all of, all of that stuff. And I've always kind of wondered, it's like, these people actually believe because the way that a lot of people involved in the religious, right? <laughs> seem to act it's it's kind of like if there's a hell dude you're going to it <laughs> you know it's like i've i've read the bible cover to cover and uh you know i know that a lot of the attitudes just aren't consistent with any actual teaching it's like there's there's no way that people can actually believe all this pretty hateful stuff you know when it comes to tre treating other people as equals and whatnot but you said that you think that generally speaking the people involved in the religious right actually do believe in what they're what they're saying. Like they're not just saying it for the sake of advancing their political worldview, but rather that they actually believe these 
sorts of things. Oh yeah, I it's the responsibility no, they, to. Yeah, no, they them. they believe everything that they say. Well, that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> it is no, and 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 like what like that. Um, unfortunately, that was something. So after I had discovered that, I kind of started publishing about it to some degree or trying to, and a lot of people didn't even want to publish what I was writing. So like, I'll give you an example. You know, I had written um, a 5,000 word piece for the Atlantic. They, somebody there had asked me to write it. Um, and I showed how like Ben Shapiro's um, right-wing views were not really different from this um, white nationalist guy named Nick Fuentes. Um, and I, I literally had audio of him bashing Jewish people, Ben Shapiro bashing Jewish people on a white nationalist podcast. Oh yeah. Was it a uh, red ice um, radio? It that was. One? Yeah. See, yeah. I, I was, listened to yeah, that one too. <laughs> yeah. No, you probably, yeah. Like, but I was, and you probably, yeah. I probably I, saw I, it because uh, you posted it somewhere. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, yeah, nobody had seen that before. Um, but most people who follow politics, I would say, you know, haven't seen it. Um, and, you know, so I, I was able to, so I, anyway, I finished the story. It was impeccably documented. Like there was no possible way that anyone could sue you based on this story mm-hmm. um, because it was a hundred percent true. And it was based, it, I based it on the, so um, uh, Fuentes had, he and his uh, fans had, had started trying to, uh, Basically, they're trying to take over the Turning Point USA um, audience because they both are effectively going for the same group, uh, right-wing young Christians. And uh, and so they were showing up at Charlie Kirk events, uh, and they showed up for one out here in Los Angeles with Donald Trump Jr., and they just humiliated um, him. And like I told the entire backstory of how this happened. And, mm-hmm why it's so hard for Charlie Kirk's, you know, why his audience keeps <laughs> becoming white nationalists. Um, and um, anyway, so I sent it to him and the guy who was my editor, he said, Oh, this is fantastic, but I'm sorry. I can't print it. <laughs> what and then say? I said, well, yeah. why, why can't you print it? And he never resp- responded. Oh, that's awful. Uh, it is. And like that attitude though, um, I kept encountering it over and over and over that there's this, there's a sentiment among a lot of uh, elite journalists that they, they don't take these people seriously. They think that they're just a bunch of redneck losers um, who, you know, are masturbating into a, into a teddy bear or whatever, <laughs> like to Jesus and Donald Trump pictures. Like that's how they see them. Um, okay. And they have no idea that these people have gigantic, massive audiences. And okay. like, I, I, I've heard people say, Oh, well, I don't want to give so-and-so a platform. Yeah, it's and actually- it's like, they have a bigger audience than you. Yeah. Okay. That was, so- that was always funny <laughs> when, when I was at media matters and I, I post an article that I wrote about like Tucker Carlson and I have someone who's like, why are you giving him a platform? It's like, I hate to break this to you. <laughs> he has far more viewers than I have readers. Uh, yeah. Exponentially so, you know? Yeah, no, and and uh, there's just this, you know, there is kind of this naive 
uh, attitude that a lot of people on in the establishment left have. Um, and it's also a they don't understand how small of a space they occupy in mm-hmm. the American mind. Um, and so, like, for instance, um, I remember having an argument. I was on a, a debate show one time with somebody who was at uh, the Free Beacon and they were trying to say, oh, Alex Jones, he's just this fringe figure. And I said, Alex Jones has about 10 times the audience, the web audience alone of your publication. So does that mean you're a fringe figure? And of course, they didn't respond to that. <laughs> well, that's that. I mean, that's that's kind. That's a great point because, and, and it kind of shows. What am I trying to say? It that's a great point, and it kind of gets at something something else that that I've been thinking a lot about, which is kind of this this idea that, um, you know, oh. Don't pay attention to Alex Jones. Don't pay attention to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ignore them. Ignore them. These people are fringe as their audiences keep growing and as their influence keeps growing. And that's something that just just happens in politics. And I I see people brush off fringe elements of something. And I'll just kind of think to myself, five years from now, that's that's not going to be fringe. Whatever gets said there. And uh, yeah, Alex Jones, that's been one one hell of a, a trip following his career for as long as I have. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Well, and now, you know, Tucker Carlson, the number one host in uh, Fox news and the you know, highest rated television personality in America is basically uh, Alex Jones uh, yeah. light. Uh, and, and Alex Jones himself actually said this the other day. He said, you know, I have been so, I've been so pleased to see how, what a great patriot, Tucker Carlson has become, uh, and you know, and then you know, and then meanwhile, the the rest of you know the liberal Hollywood elite continue to do business with his paymaster, Rupert Murdoch. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's ultimately, people need to understand that you know, this is not Tucker Carlson doing this. This is Rupert Murdoch doing this, and if you as a you know, Hollywood studio or um, movie star or whatever, you know, you work with him in any capacity, you are supporting Tucker Carlson. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I worked at Media Matters, which, you know, is kind of the, I don't want to say the flip side because I feel like it kind of equates the two, but it's it's the, the left-leaning uh, counterweight to like newsbusters basically uh, for about two, two and a half years. And while media matters, I think does some great work in my view, it's an organization that the right dismisses out of hand and mainstream outlets often seem reluctant to rely on for fear of being slammed by the right for relying on some study that, that we've, that we did over there or some data that we pulled or some, even some quote that we found, because that's, like 90% of what Media Matters does is just taking clips in context and posting them to the site. That's just like, hey, on Alex Jones' show today, he went on a five-minute rant about whatever. Like, those things are good to know because most people aren't just going to sit there and listen to three hours of Alex Jones every day. Um, Mm. And that's probably for the best. But one thing that was frustrating about that is that working at Media Matters kind of made it really difficult to 
to get a lot of my arguments through the noise. Um, and so one thing I, I really wanted to ask you is just sort of, you know, what, 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 what don't people get about right-wing media that perhaps coming from you and not me, from your point of view, from your involvement in all of this, um, as you were realizing this and making your sort of decisions to, to distance yourself from, from that sort of movement, what, what don't they understand that you might help them get it, that you saying it might help them get it? Sorry if that was confusing. <laughs> uh, there, there is a few things. So one is that the sort of generic Republican um, Capitol Hill professional class establishment is much closer to the white nationalist or Christian supremacist fringe than you have any idea. Um, um, and, you know, just as a, an example, you know, the, um, I mean, you, you've got a number of Republican members of Congress who have said that biological evolution is a lie from Satan. Um, like that is a ridiculous extremist position. Um, and a lot of Republican officials believe it. Mike Pence believes it. Um, and, you know, there were real implications, real world implications of these beliefs, because it means that you don't accept um, science. And in the case of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, that's is a reason that they were so prone to these stupid, um, you know, conspiracy theories or dumb, um, you know, medical um, things. So like, I mean, like, yeah, people always say, well, you know, I don't understand why do Republicans like hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin so much? Why do they like it? Uh, it must be Trump. And it's like, no, it isn't. Because like, there are there are 70 years of, of religious nut jobs selling people herbs and spices and telling them that these are God's cures for cancer or you know, pneumonia or whatever. And like, they've been, they've had a business of this and nobody paid attention to it on the left or in the establishment press. Um, and it, so it's been metast. This is a cancer that has been growing in America and, you know, you have to pay attention to it. Not just when they invade the Capitol and try to kill the vice president. It's something that you, that has to be, you know, the average person has to know how radical these people are. And, um, and the connections are just so clear. Um, and like, you know, I remember people, you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene, the mm -hmm. Georgia Congresswoman that I remember people after she was first elected were like, Oh, this is just a fringe person. Like Republicans are not going to, uh, respond to her. She's just a free QAnon person, but lo and behold, she is now one of the most prolific Republican members of the House at fundraising. She's rolling in money um, and, you know, was routinely defended and promoted by Fox News. Um, and like that's it, it's almost like um, there, there is this uh, <laughs> this old Internet meme, you know, the, the rules of the Internet. Right. You remember those? I think it was 50 or whatever it was. But rule number 34 was if it exists there is porn of it. 
Um, and there's basically a rule 34 of, of conservative politics. If it's insane enough, eventually they will believe it. Um, and that's what people need to understand. Like, right. um, there's nothing too crazy or too dumb that they won't believe. Um, and they've, but the, but the, here, here's the other thing though, in terms of right-wing media, it is their, it is their, their ace in the hole for politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Virginia um, gubernatorial race is, is, you know, such a great example of that. that oh, you absolutely. Know, you, so here you had Glenn Youngkin, who is, you know, basically a Mitt Romney clone, uh, boring, uh, you know, rich, out of touch, plutocrat, uh, destroyed people's lives in private equity. The, the um, ideas and experience of Mitt Romney, but with the sweater vest of Rick Santorum. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and so, like, this is not someone that a normal person would want to vote for. Um so it isn't. And, but what was key for him was that, was this, um, you know, the, this lie campaign that was ginned up in right wing media. And they had two primary lies. One was that they had fabricated uh, several incidents about supposed transgender uh, bathroom violence. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, no, and it, but it's important though to, since, I mean, since I mentioned it though, I'll, I have to, you know, they, so there was this incident that, uh, alleged incident that happened in a school in exurban Virginia, uh, around DC, Loudoun County is the county. And there was a male student, uh, who apparently occasionally cross-dressed or something like that, but did not identify as transgender. Um, had apparently had sexual encounters with a female student in a bathroom multiple times. One time, I guess she said no, uh, and then he proceeded to rape her. Uh, But somehow, but then, and then the school was, uh, the district allowed him to transfer over to another high school after the incident. Uh, Which is like, that's... That's an issue, you know. But. Yeah, but here, well, here's the other thing, though. Is this was the policy of the former Trump administration. Betsy DeVos had had said that the, the Secretary of Education at that time had said that students who were accused of sexual crimes, um, they needed to be continued to have continued access to their learning environment. Um, it, that that was very, you know, she wanted, instead of being concerned about, you know, students who had, uh, you know, that these students might again commit the crimes or whatever that they were accused of, um, they wanted to let them keep going to school. So this was the Republican policy. Um, and so the district uh, allowed the male student to go to another high school and apparently um, went into, uh, he had, did, as accused of doing another um, assault Mm-hmm. Uh, a sexual assault of a female student in the classroom this time at the second school. Um, but at no time was there a transgender bathroom policy involved with either of these incidents right. um, and, or even a transgender person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which um, see, which seems important to note when people are, are trying to stoke those sorts of uh, things. But even, even if there, even if it was a trans person, you know, it's like there's no school in the country that's that's saying, hey, let's make it legal for trans people to assault people in restrooms or assault people in classrooms or anything like that. Like, no yeah. matter what, 
what the person was doing was wrong in any case. And that's, that's what's so frustrating. But it was also, and I might just be getting ahead here, when all of this happened, it was before that, that school district had, had taken up policy. a policy. Yeah. yeah. So the first, they were the first incident. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, and then the second incident wasn't in the bathroom. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. And, and, and with that first incident, um, one of the things that personally frustrates me uh, about it is just that the argument seems to be this happened because of this policy, these trans, this trans inclusive policy. And that's, it's just not true. It's just, it can't be true. It, and the tricky thing about it is arguing this point on Twitter or wherever else immediately gets you going, wow, you're defending this person. You're defending the person. And it's like, no, I'm defending the, I'm defending the people who had nothing to do with this, but are getting blamed for it. And, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Well, and I, yeah, it is. It is. And I'll tell you one of the sort of last straws for me um, from trying to stop opposing, uh, reforming the right to start opposing it was, um, if you remember uh, when Mike Pence was the governor of Indiana, mm -hmm. they had passed this law that um, allowed, they, they called it a religious freedom law. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, th this is, I think, their, their most successful evil scheme ever is trying to rebrand you know christian supremacism as religious freedom um but the the way that law worked was basically anyone could claim a religious objection to any law um and say you know that goes against my religion so i don't have to follow it um and that actually was what the law said um oh. And like, I was still, you know, sort of loosely conservative um, when that came out or when that was signed. And, um, and I, but I kept hearing in right-wing media, oh no, that's not what it does. That's not what it does. It just, it just protects people, um, you know, to have their, from having their rights violated. And like, and, and, and then I, I would ask people, well, have you actually read the law? How do you know that? And they'd say, no, I haven't read it. And then I, and then finally I was like, all right, I don't want to have to read this, but I'm just going to read it. And luckily for me, it was only like, you know, two or three pages, the law. So thankfully, um, and I read through it and, uh, and I was like, wow, these people have totally lied uh, about what this law says. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I can't, I can't do this anymore um, because they have no regard for truth. So either they have no regard for truth or they don't care about what truth is. Um, and, you know, that's eventually I, once I had that realization. Um, so it, w one thing that's important, I think, for people to realize is that right wingers do not believe in facts. Um, so when people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fact check them and whatnot, they don't care about facts. No. Um, it just it what, eats up time. I mean, on the end of the people who are trying to correct misinformation or correct facts or fact check. Yeah. Um, now it's fine. Look, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, no, but what I'm course. saying is that you can't persuade them uh, of facts because facts don't matter. What they, so all right wing um, reasoning, it's not empirical based. It's um, so, and I hate to get too philosophical here, but 
um, in You are on logic. a podcast named The Present Age. So <laughs> feel free. <laughs> All right. Well, so in, um, in formal logic, there's, there's, uh, there's essentially two types of, there's more than two, but two basic types of reasoning. There's empirical reasoning, which is where you look at, you use observation and your senses to deduce, um, you know, what reality is, or as you can perceive it. Um, and then there is another kind, which is a priori from Latin, uh, from before. Um, and because right-wing Americans are, you know, overwhelmingly uh, either Christian or Jewish fundamentalists, um, they don't believe in empirical reason or deductive reasoning. They, they believe in a priori reason. And so for them, their opinions about the Bible or the Book of Mormon, in case of Mormons, um, their opinions about religion are facts. Um, and they are, not only are they facts, they are timeless, eternal truths. And this is an aspect of, of right-wing epistemology that almost nobody who has had, who, that if you haven't come out of that environment, you really don't understand it um, because they don't really talk about it, like how they, how they reason because they just all agree <laughs> that, you know, the Bible is literally true in every aspect. Um, and so that is the truth. And so everything must comport with that, with our understanding of religion. Otherwise, it's a lie. So because they, because, but the problem is, of course, you know, the Bible is not literally true. Right. Um, and so effectively, they, so because they believe in moral absolutes, but their morals are based on lies, Basically, they believe they have moral absolutism and factual relativism, um, while accusing everyone else of moral relativism and factual absolutism. And they're right, of course, to say that because mm -hmm. everybody else, you know, we, we we want to have our opinions based on facts and based on what's real. Which is which is why it's it's kind of funny that so many on the right seem to try to brand themselves as. I am all facts, all logic, all, you know, like there's that, that strain of like Ben Shapiro type right wing, you know, pundits who, who go, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just telling harsh truths. Facts don't care about your feelings. And I, it's always just so mind boggling that something yeah. like that would take off as a, um, something like that would take off as a, as a slogan for, a movement that is honestly pretty detached from facts, but yeah, yeah. But it makes sense when you understand that for them, a fact is that homosexuality is evil. Right. A fact is that marriage should only be between man and a woman, one man and one woman. Right. These are facts uh, from their standpoint. A fact, you know, it is a fact that Jesus, you know, was crucified for the sins of the world and was resurrected on the third day. That's a fact. Right. Um, and so if, if, you know, if you're, so basically though, they have an inverted epistemology mm -hmm. and that's why it's so hard for a lot of people who are educated, um, you know, especially liberals, educated liberals to understand them, um, that they really, they cannot believe that they actually are so dumb. 
uh, basically. <laughs> Um, it's hard for the, it's hard for people who, you know, have had, you know, let's say 20 or more years of schooling, um, to understand that there are people out there who think that, you know, education is a lie. Sure. And, 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 you know, and to be clear, I think, I think it's, it's, um, it's one thing to, to sort of blame the, uh, the, intellectual leaders of right-wing movements for for this but you know on a, on an individual level it's it's so much h- harder and you know to understand you know, where people are getting their news which is why media <laughs> media matters um you know how mm-hmm. the press covers anything it's important and yeah. and yeah well and yeah no and and the other thing though is that um because uh so yeah, like right wing media is how their entire political um, structure is based on now. Mm-hmm. So the average Republican activist or voter, you know, they can just be su- submerged continuously in disinformation and lies, um, and um, so you know they can they can wake up to their uh, you know uh, Christian morning podcast the daily wire has one now um and or any number of these christian radio stations that have millions and millions of listeners but nobody outside of their audience has ever heard of them mm-hmm. um and then they you know they drive to work they can listen to you know local talk radio on their way to work and then they get to work they can turn on their talk radio while they're in uh doing their tasks and then you know uh, and read their thousands and thousands of websites um and then they go home and they can watch their propaganda videos on tv and uh, youtube or wherever and so like they have no awareness of anything that is not in that ecosystem sure and, yeah and like that's but it's how so like i, I always hear um democratic consultants and politicians you know saying oh our people just don't vote in the midterms i wish they would i wish they well you know why republicans vote in the midterms it's because of right-wing media um and that are telling them you know every every election this is the most important election ever if you don't vote now jesus will be crucified again you know basically that's the type of hype and they're subjected to it every day um and like i don't you know i i would prefer i would like to do something to try to educate and keep um, left of center voters motivated, but it seems like the Democratic establishment is like, no, we'll just run some TV ads. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's that's uh, it's definitely kind of frustrating to to watch as it, it just it just honestly sometimes seems like Democratic politicians and the Democratic establishment generally just doesn't. I they you don't know, again. I want to I want to believe that they're that. You know, they they see this very obvious thing that's happening, but it they just don't respond to it as though there's there's a genuine issue at hand. That's today's show. Thank you to Matthew Sheffield for stopping by. This is part one of two in a series of interviews I did with Matthew. So next week you will hear the conclusion. As always. You can find the full transcript of today's episode at readthepresentage.com.